Thanks to this, you know what, and in the ring with Dan and Benny, hey, brother man, hey, he's about the most cat. I just love him to death. I love you. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're the best. I'm telling you, brother, in the ring with Dan and Benny. Yeah. We love you. Thank Woo. you so much, Dan. Oh, yeah. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spashano, joined, as always, by the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? Dan, another, another blind date gone bad. I thought this was a good one. She was a little bit of a bigger girl, but, you know, we went out to eat, had a good time. And then uh, I found out that uh, she was arrested. Arrested? Yeah, the, the, the police went to her house and found uh, 30 pounds of crack under her dress. Okay, okay. <laughs> Horrible. Thank you. That's one, one of your one of your uh, friends shout outs there. You know, Benny, um, we were talking before the before we the show and we got a lot to talk about today. We really want to start with uh, obviously we are uh, the purpose for tonight. Our friends at the BWC have a big event coming up this weekend, and we brought somebody on board to talk not just about his involvement and his career, but also the BWC. Why don't you tell everybody who we got on line with us tonight? We have the head trainer from the from Boogie's Camp Wrestling Camp and Hall of Fame Museum, a.k.a. BWC, Mr. Mike Mars. Mike, welcome to Dan and Betty in the Ring. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, we appreciate you being here. We appreciate the time, and uh, we'll definitely – I mean, we're all looking forward to this – the events this weekend but before we talk about what's coming up this weekend benny <clears throat> we posted a uh, a nice shout out on the page uh our friend uh george pontas and of course uh jimmy himself who surprise surprise showed up with uh with and in an interview with tony shivanto uh at the event so what were your thoughts what was seeing jimmy there uh, a surprise run-in by jimmy Valiant. i mean how's it get any better than that and then he planted one right in the face of Tony Schiavone, though. It, it, I mean, that, that one of my favorite movies, as good as it gets. That was as good as it gets. Yeah, well, I mean, he said Tony gives the best sugar. But, I mean, how how do you have a Crockett anniversary event and a backstage interview with Tony Schiavone and not bring in Jimmy Valiant? I mean, you just can't do that. It was phenomenal. First of all, does Tony Schiavone even age? He looks the same. How old is that guy? Like, what is he drinking? Like, I want to know. Well, don't forget, he took a good, what, 18, 18 years or so off between between his involvement with WCW and, and running back with uh, AEW. So maybe maybe that's the secret of life. Just take a 20-year 20 20 break and then... But just to see Jimmy Valiant and Tony Schiavone on the same screen, I mean, that does anybody's heart good, if you're a wrestling fan. Oh, absolutely. And imagine... If I told you a year or two ago, you're going to have a backstage interview. Tony Schiavone is going to interview Jimmy Valiant as a special presentation on a pay-per-view headlined by a Ric Flair-Jeff Jarrett match. What would you have thought, Benny? Well, the only thing I would say is, you know, I'd say you're crazy. But, I mean, we love wrestling. What's not crazy in wrestling? I mean, anything's possible. So true. So true. Mike, uh, what were your thoughts? I know... 
it was kind of a, a closely guarded secret, Jimmy heading down to, to Tennessee. What did you think seeing him on the big screen again? Well, it's always good to see Boogie up on the screen. Uh, got quite the laugh. I know everybody that saw it was overjoyed. <laughs> That's a good, good old word. Tony Schiavanto line. <laughs> <laughs> we, we always love the uh, Betty, don't we? We always love some of the fun nicknames that Boogie's come up with. Well, I'm so glad that the last time he was on this show that I got to finally ask him, how did you come up with Tony Schiavanto? Like, I mean, for 35 years, I wondered about that. And he finally answered it for us. Uh, always a good guess. But, the, of course, the big event, the, the headline. And, honestly, just before we get to that, though, uh, it wasn't the only thing. The, uh, the WWE had SummerSlam this weekend, uh, the first pay-per-view under the new regime, or, excuse me, premium live event under the, uh, under the new regime. And... Leaps and bounds, Benny, pretty much everybody that saw it said it was the best event they've done in a long time. There was a lot of indications of you could see where the Triple H decisions were versus McMahon. So it really looking, wrestling picking up. And then, of course, Sunday we had the uh, Ric Flair, his final match. Benny, what were your thoughts on that match itself? Well, uh, I don't own a Roger's thesaurus, but I wish I did because... I don't have enough words to describe how horrible it was. I mean, abominable, abysmal, you know, <laughs> terrible, awful. Um, I mean, I we had Evan Ginsberg and uh, Nikita Brezhnikov on the show, and we were, you know, we talked about this. And one of the things we said was, you know, it was all how it was going to be positioned. If it was going to be marketed as an exhibition, you know, kind of like Old Timers Day at Yankee Stadium. You, know, you don't mind back in the day when I was a kid, if Joe DiMaggio hit a ground rule double, you didn't care that it took him 45 seconds to get to second base. You you expected that. I mean, the guy was 60 years old, for God's sakes. Right. You know, the, the problem was Flair, you know, completely marketed this as a competitive match, and he tried to do that. And I think that's that was the fail. I mean, to try to, you know, wrestle, what was it, 27 minutes? I think yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I completely agree. If it had been... A, a what a lot of us expected with Andrade and Jay Lethal carrying the bulk and then Jeff Jarrett coming in periodically and then Flair maybe one or two spots he tags in he struts does a few chops exactly you know? but he and apparently the, the story is it was very much him pushing for it he wanted to be heavily involved now I will admit you know seeing him come out and do the strut for the first time and and you know uh, doing the the DX gesture, which I thought was a nice little nod, um, you know, but honestly, what killed me and I always talk about wanting to break him, you know, how, how matches today break immersion was when Ric Flair threw the chops, Jay Lethal sold them like he was being shot out of a cannon. And it reminded me of that, that infamous match years back with Shawn Michaels and Hulk Hogan. Oh my where, God. You know, it was, it was, I get it. You're having fun. You want to make Ric Flair look like a million dollars. But when Ric Flair is, is very soft chop, I mean, clearly the, 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 the fire is there, but the body, how as they say the, the heart was willing, but the body couldn't keep up, you know, and Jay Lethal still selling like it's the hardest hit he's taken in a year. It almost broke past the nostalgia into just looking goofy. Right. And uh, all I can say is I know there was a spot where, he was going to get a superplex, 
And I don't know if they were actually going to do it or they kind of called it off on the fly. But all I was thinking is like, thank God that they didn't do that. Yeah, well, I, I will say that there were two moments, the brass knuckles spot. I, I think they were brass knuckles, right? And the very the, the finish when he had the figure four locked in and he, he was so gassed he couldn't keep his shoulder up. Um, there were two those moments you genuinely were watching thinking, holy crap, is he going to get like it literally is he going to get up from this? Like I did. I just watch Ric Flair die. My uh, uh, my son, Dan, actually, he said that he he or he thought he heard or not heard, but like Ric Flair's lips moving, saying I passed out to Andrade. So who knows? Maybe I did see the back new the backstage news that they actually Ric Flair had proposed a spot where he wanted to jump off the top rope and it was Charlotte that talked him out of it. So, I mean, he sees Sting on AEW jumping off the, the, the balcony, you know, but I'll tell you, Sting, Sting's in better shape. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb here and I was talking to my son again, Dan, about this. There was, I guess, Bret Hart was there, The Undertaker, Foley. Yep. I literally think that if he had died in the ring, he would have been okay with it because that's the way he would have would have wanted to go out. Just yeah. speculation on my part, but I, that's, that's how I feel. No, I, I think you're right. I think if something bad had happened, I think he would have been fine with it. No regrets, as they say. Yeah, what a way to go. You know, in my case, it's hookers. In, in Ric Flair's <laughs> case, it's in the rings. So right. Reach out, you know. Jeez. Well, Mike, you mentioned seeing Jimmy there. Do you, uh, do you have any thoughts on, on Flair's last match? I mean, you got to give him credit where credit's due. I mean, took a lot of guts for him at his age and his health to go out and do that and to be able to just go out on his own terms. That's something to commend him for, regardless of how it turned out. <laughs> yeah. And let's, let's be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm 39. If I can even walk to the ring at his age, more or less put on half a half a bump filled match. I mean, he's in better shape than 90% of the world's population, his age. So good on him. For sure, for sure. <laughs> but getting back to the to the man of the hour, uh, Mike, we always love talking um, to people about their their origins. We ask the same question. Benny always says it's like a snowflake. You know, no two are ever the same. So I'm going to ask you the same starter question we ask everybody. Be, <clears throat> excuse me. When, like, do you remember when it was you became a fan of professional wrestling? When the bug officially bit you? And... Uh, do you remember the transition from I'm a fan to this is what I'm going to do with my life? Uh, yeah, uh, I've been a fan as long as I can remember. Uh, as a kid, uh, my dad was in the Air Force and we lived in Germany. So the first four years of my life. And due to my dad's job, we had access to uh, some Japanese television. So I got to see some Japanese wrestling. And we also had uh, WrestleMania 1, 2, and 3 recorded on VHS. So I uh, constantly watched 1 and 3, like, nonstop. Uh, even as a kid, I wasn't a big fan of WrestleMania 2. But, uh, and then just getting to be able to see some of the Japanese stuff, like, Tiger Mask as a kid, like, blew my mind because he was, like, one of my, my comic book characters on the TV. In real life, uh, getting to see like Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen on television, like crazy. 
craziness. <laughs> but uh, uh, so it started between you know ages two and four. Uh, we moved back to the states, and uh, I wanted to watch my wrestling. Had no concept of a TV guide or anything, so I just flipped channels and uh, discovered WCW. Uh, went back home to uh, El Paso, tried to find my wrestling again. Uh, found uh, found AAA and CMLL, and uh, just pretty much got exposed to international wrestling at a, at a young age and uh for the most part after that it was just a lot of wwf uh so throughout middle school that's when uh me and my friends decided hey we should be professional wrestlers <laughs> and uh, we did the whole backyard wrestling deal like thinking professional wrestling was legit sports competition so still real legit, to you damn it yeah, like legit doing these moves. So, just just breaking each other's backs, not knowing it's a work, brother. <laughs> but uh, uh, as as I got older, high school, moved back to Germany. Uh, I realized that professional wrestling was probably not going to be a thing for me. I was like, how do you even get into wrestling? So I kind of gave up on the dream a little bit. I was just a fan. Uh, fast forward many years later. <laughs> uh, I'm in the military. Uh, I'm in Iraq. And uh, we had a USO show where uh, Jimmy Hart, uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine, SoCal Val, Tracy Brooks, and uh, Brian Obbs came down to visit us and uh, we're getting our postcards signed by him and my buddy wanted to take a picture with Jimmy Hart so I'm taking his picture while my card is going down the line without me and all of a sudden Tracy Brooks down at the end is like hey who's Mike? I was like oh shit that's me <laughs> so I throw <laughs> my buddy his camera I run over there and she's like Whoa! You're big. You should wrestle. <laughs> so she looks over to Jimmy Hart and she's like, "Hey, do you think you should wrestle?" And Jimmy Hart, you know, in that infallible Jimmy Hart voice, like, "Oh yeah, baby, I, I can recommend you to schools. You know, if if you're serious about doing this, like, there's schools." <laughs> I had no clue. So, thanks to uh, Miss Brooks and Jimmy Hart. Uh, the wrestling bug was put back in the back of my brain. Uh, then, uh, uh, sorry, <laughs> wrestling brain. Uh, trying to remember. Um, I got out of the military, and I go to art school. And while I'm in art school, it was uh, the Joe Kubert School for Cartooning and uh, Graphic Art, the comic book school. I discovered uh, Chikara. I was like, okay, I'm in comic book school. There's comic book wrestling, and their school is like an hour and a half away. I was like, 
I'll finish school and I'll go right into there. Well, it didn't pan out that way. Uh, thanks to life throwing some, some rocks our way. Uh, my wife ended up getting a job down in Virginia and I was like, well, I guess the, the dream's over again. <laughs> but, uh, my wife's like, no, nah, don't give up. You know, look, maybe there's a school somewhere nearby. And I'm like, all right, all right, I'll look. So get online, start looking. And, uh, I see Jimmy Valiant. It's like, Wiggy's wrestling camp. I was like, okay. And then I see the street address. I'm like, that street sounds so familiar. I'm like, babe, what, what's the name of the main road down the street? She's like, oh, Allegheny Springs. Allegheny Springs. I punched in immediately. Boogie's <laughs> wrestling camp and find out it's five miles down the road from my house. <laughs> so I'm like, if that's not a sign, I don't know what is. Uh, Ours the B wanted uh, you to train there. That's for sure. <laughs> it was like, you you can't you can't do any better than that. I don't I don't think. <laughs> so you are the only person, Mike, besides uh, besides Jimmy Valiant, that knows how to get there. <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> I was just curious, Mike. Well, first of all, I, I think you're very Bruiser Brody esque. Mm -hmm. Number one. And number two, how did you get the name Mike Mars? I guess Mike really is your first name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, Mars, it's just a uh, shortened version of my last name. Uh, as I mentioned before, art school, I signed my art with uh, Mars. Oh, and uh, okay. I was like, Mars, it's like the god of war. So I was like, kind of stuck. Uh, Back when I was talking about getting into wrestling, like everybody was like, oh, you should do a Game of Thrones gimmick. And I was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> I was like, Mars, God of War, wrestling, sure. <laughs> but then uh, I usually get the question like, oh, are you a fan of Mick Mars? <laughs> like Motley Crue? Like, well, that's what I had. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I didn't even put two and two together until... <laughs> <laughs> well oh. just cu just curious did you have uh before you ch you went with mars did you have any other names bouncing around in there um uh, not really <laughs> to be quite honest um I, when i first started out i didn't know exactly how it worked so when i was very brand new they they just gave me like every show I went to was, was something different. And, uh, so most famously I started out as, uh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Cause, uh, I have a Hispanic background. I look like Jesus. Sure. Go out there be Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fair. Uh, you actually, <clears throat> if you don't mind me expanding on that, you, <clears throat> you're originally from El Paso, Texas, correct? Yes. And you, you traveled all over the world. You were telling us about, uh, you know, how you ended up with, with moving and how you ended up in Virginia. <clears throat> I'm curious if you wouldn't mind, how does, uh, how does that fare? The, the, the travel, like, uh, you know, I'm just, just as more me having a wife that's from Texas, like comparing Texas to Virginia, like, like, how's that, how's that as far as both the wrestling and, and just being around the world as it were. 
Well, uh, I have to say Virginia is a whole nother animal that I've ever had the privilege of living on. <laughs> uh, it was a, it was a bit of culture shock because it's country out here. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've always been a city kid. Uh, El Paso, big city. Uh, every place my parents got were stationed, big cities. Uh, where I was stationed, big cities. So it's a uh, it's a it's a nice change of pace. <laughs> I can understand that. I, I'm curious, actually, as a as a Navy vet myself, what branch did you serve in? Uh, I was in the Army. Okay, very nice. Any uh, any favorite? stations during your time in the army uh well my last uh my last duty station was uh in hawaii oh. uh school for barracks so that was uh i didn't get to enjoy it as much as my wife did because uh deployments but <laughs> it was it was great while i was there <laughs> I'm, I'm sure she she when she was on the beach enjoying herself she missed you greatly oh yes <laughs> <laughs> So, Mike, as a student of Boogie's Wrestling Camp, describe that. What was it like training under Jimmy Valiant? Uh, initially, it was really intimidating. <laughs> How so? Just coming into this brand new, uh, Boogie being a, a WWE Hall of Famer, many decades in his career, been everywhere, done about everything. Uh it it was a a big shadow to step into, <laughs> and then just uh, just the environment initially, like when you first walk up to Boogie's camp and you just hear the booms and the bangs coming from the ring and everybody making noise. It's I'm a big guy, but I was I was shaking in my boots walking up them stairs. <laughs> So, I mean, like, what was it like taking a bump for the first time? Were you, were you surprised? Uh, well, from my background, uh, I was a skateboarder all through high school. So I'm very familiar with the floor. <laughs> oh, <I know. laughs> so uh, that, taking that first bump, though, was like, it, it's a wake-up call because uh, it's not something you don't fall on purpose normally <laughs> it's right. a very unnatural motion really right i mean yeah for sure for sure you're you're fighting every instinct to catch yourself but uh after that first bump i was like i think this is going to be something cool <laughs> just, just a supposition on my part well now that i know jimmy i'm sure he made it very besides the fact that it was it was hard work but i'm sure he made it enjoyable as well Oh yes, of course. Uh, just anytime Boogie gets in, gets in the zone, starts telling stories, and just related to what we're doing and how we're doing it, it's it's a privilege and, and such a joy to be able to just sit back and hear it straight from the horse's mouth, you know. <laughs> well, so let me ask you then: you you you're training with Jimmy Valiant. And you're you're kind of like you said you're learning the ropes, literally learning the bumps. Um, it kind of looks like you got your start in the Carolina Wrestling Federation, the Mid Atlantic. That would be around 2017. 
Um, uh, just, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, if you, I was wondering if you could describe the feeling of going from tra- a trainee to wrestling in front of a live crowd. I mean, I know the, the Jimmy Valiant school is really a unique atmosphere for training, but what was it like going from the training school to the, I don't want to say the real ring, but in front of a live crowd. Um, it was, it was something else. Uh, the, the first uh, show I was ever on was in 2014 and, uh, just a Valiant cup show. So battle Royal walk out through the curtain, just everybody's, sitting there all eyes on everybody coming out again another intimidating moment but uh very exhilarating very uh what's the word uh i guess the the adrenaline surge from being out there it's like i'm doing this whoa this is this is nuts uh it's something uh, i knew immediately it was it was addictive (laughs) It's like I want more of this. This is this is cool. Well, and then uh, it looks like after about six months, uh, you in, in uh, CWF in Carolina, that you won their Mid Atlantic Rising Generation title. So I mean, a lot of us, you know, fans, and we have you know replica title belts, and we'll hang them in our you know our man caves, or you know sometimes we'll even throw them over over our shoulders, you know. But what what was it like to actually get one for real? Uh, it was something else, like, um, uh, one of those moments where I was like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, even, even on the, the level I was at, I was just like, this is unreal. Um, uh, just to have the, the faith of the, the promoters and stuff behind me to do that early on like that, uh, was something else. Well, I'm curious then the uh, if you don't mind peeling the curtain back a little bit, how does that how does that conversation go down? You know, you're you're still very green. And I mean that as a more of a timeline as opposed to a criticism of your skill. But you're still green. You you, you know, you're you're still a young, younger uh, talent in that and that you hadn't been wrestling very long. And they come up to you and say, hey, we're going to put a belt on you. How does that conversation go about? Was that surprised? Did you kind of feel it was coming? Uh, it was a little of both. <laughs> uh, they kind of, uh, I can't remember it exactly, but I remember it was talks early on just, just on how I was being presented, and like what I was doing. It was like, it just made sense that that was where we were going to go. And then to be officially told, like, okay, this is this is gonna happen. It's like, all right, that's that's awesome. Thanks. <laughs> so, um, Mike, I guess it was this last weekend um, that you wrestled Scott Storm, the rematch. How did how did that go? Uh, well, it, it didn't go in my favor. Oh no. <laughs> But, uh, man, oh, man, it was very physical, very hard hitting. Uh, even though the crowd is behind Scott and not myself, it was enjoyable. Uh, oh, you, you were the heel? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
definitely it was it was a fun it was a fun match. Not gonna lie. Still a little sore, still a little stiff, but it was great. He didn't pull any teeth, did he? <laughs> I was just about to say you got all your teeth. Cause, right? Yeah, because Dan gave him that idea as a finisher, so <laughs> Well, now that you mention it, I got I got a loose one in the back here. So it's called the, the extractor, right? Is that a spinning move? Yeah, that's oh, always going to be a claim to fame here. When we had him on the show, I I asked him about incorporating being a dentist into his gimmick, and he so he kind of was like, oh, I don't think so. And then what was it, Benny? Not a few days later, he oh, sent yeah. us that video Absolutely. in the middle of the match. He pulls out his kit and pliers, and he's he's he pulling couldn't teeth. wait. He couldn't wait to use it. <laughs> we we are we are glad to uh glad to put our impact on the world speaking of of the world we talked about your time in the carolinas what other promotions have you wrestled for like where else have you been plying your craft um uh, well, i've done a couple stints uh over with the aiwf uh, my home for a long time was the uh, uh hcwa Based in uh, North Carolina, and uh, Nueva Revelación de Lucha Libre, uh, also based out of North Carolina. But uh, I've been a lot of places, <laughs> just for a stint here, or there. Uh, I just, I can't remember every place, but. Well, I mean, I know it's kind of a cliche question, but do you have any favorites, places you can't wait to go back to? Uh, anywhere there's a ring and they invite me to come down. <laughs> and they pay you. That's, that's your favorite. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> so, Mike, how, how did you become, like, go from a student at BWC to a trainer and then to a head trainer? So how, how did that happen, number one? And then um, ex tell everybody, like, you know, put peel the curtain back a little bit. What, what type of training? Because I know that it's very comprehensive there. I mean, you learn how to take bumps. You learn, you know, you're learning the holds. You learn the psychology, um, you know, pretty much anything, even how to uh, conduct yourself with a promoter. Um, who does do, do certain people teach certain classes? How does that work? Uh, well, as far as like how it works. Uh, so I myself and uh, my fellow instructors and boogie like we all have uh, a vast collection of knowledge amongst all of us that we can share for different perspectives and different situations. So uh, everybody just kind of has a, a chance to put their own two cents in. Um, as far as anybody teaching anything specific, nobody really, everybody teaches everything. <laughs> um, And, and it's really as I mean, anything I mean, interrupt. I mean, you can be not only a wrestler there, but you can train to be a manager, a valet, and an announcer. I mean, that's that's pretty good. It's really like a one-stop shop. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, we've had uh, referees come up through there. We've got plenty of managers that come out of there. Um, like I'm, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with Captain Joe. <laughs> oh yeah, I can oh yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah. Uh, so even even from managers' 
points and things that are going on because they see all the backstage stuff too. And so they're able to kind of put their own uh, experiences out there for everybody to learn from. Well, let me ask you, I mean, we talk about training to be a wrestler and you were talking about bumps and all put us into the other perspectives. If someone goes there and wants to train to be a manager or referee, how is that different? Or what, what is unique about those two as opposed to just training to be a wrestler? Well, the, I would say the only real difference is you're not taking as many bumps, but it's, it's all, it's all in the same bubble because it's all storytelling. It's all, uh, painting a picture for the audience, uh, whether it's, uh, you're the referee or the manager. Everybody plays their own role to paint that picture, uh, to tell that story. Um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask you that because I'm, I am a, uh, a, an October future graduate. Do, uh, do I get to wrestle in the battle row this year? I mean, Feel free to step in. <laughs> I might do that. And if I see uh, Buck Bresner or the American Giant or uh, Carnage, Mark <laughs> Perez, then I think I'll just go get some popcorn. <laughs> be the uh, be, be the, the, high, the uh, highlights of Andre jumping over the top rope, get away from the snake, right? Absolutely. That'll be me. <laughs> well. Let me let me ask you then, Mike. If you're talking because you know you're uh, you're training, you're working now, head trainer. What qualities do you look for in a in a student? Uh, qualities. Let's see. Basically, just someone who cares about the business, somebody who wants to be a part of this. Uh, because you can't go into this and not not want to be in this. Um, some people show up and they, they try to get in and they take that first bump and, and they realize, well, maybe I don't want this enough and you'll never see them again. But just people who, who come in, they're willing to learn. They want to do as much as they can, learn as much as they can, uh, and just love the business. Is there ever a case, Mike, where I'm sure there is, where somebody comes in and, like, they just don't have it? You know they don't have it. What happens then, like? Uh, from my standpoint, I I try to work with everybody. Um, because sometimes, like, everybody's different. Some people, it just takes a lot longer than others to, to get it. So, uh, ultimately... I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. You keep trying. You keep telling me you're trying. I will continue to work with you as best as you can, as best as I can. Uh, and who's to say, like, if you might not have it in the ring, but you could learn other skills that. Uh... Oh, my God. <laughs> well, let me let me ask you. I know you you never want to assume or anything like that. And you said you're willing to work with anybody. Are there any just as more morbid curiosity than anything else? Are there any red flags 
you see somebody walk through the door and you're immediately like, nope. I mean, I think about someone like me. I'm 39. I'm by no means a beacon of physical fitness. You know, I show up at your school. I'm almost 40. I'm not really in any way in good shape. Like, do you even bother? Is there a point where you say, look, you know, come back go hit the gym, come back in six months, whatever, or, or are you legitimately willing to push the boundaries with anyone? Uh, I'm legitimately willing to push those boundaries. It's just, there's, uh, Jimmy calls it the, uh, crawl before you walk, walk before you run. Uh, we just start small. Like mm-hmm. as far as like red flags, the only red flags that really set any, warnings off is like a guy coming in that first thing he wants to do is learn how to power bomb somebody before you even learn how to do a collar and elbow lockup. I, I do believe that that desire and and uh, work ethic it can overcome quite a bit though. Is that true? Yeah, most definitely. Um, I've I've seen it several times, like. You think somebody, well, from the outside looking in, like you'll you'll look at somebody and be like, well, I don't know why this guy keeps trying this. Like, why is he doing it? But then, like, three, four years later down the road, it it clicks for them. Like they've been busting their ass trying to get better, trying to do it, and all of a sudden it's just like all of a sudden that switch gets flipped, and they're a whole nother person. It just, it's one of the exciting things that I get to see from. My perspective. Like, I heard that even John Cena, I guess, at first, I mean, obviously he had the physique and everything, and he had the he had the desire, but he was just very, very awkward and clumsy in the ring. And, you know, I think it was JR who discovered him, but he thought, like, with this guy's uh, passion and drive, that we, we can work with him. And, you know, eventually, like you said, the light bulb went on one day and it just clicked. Yeah, and it it just it it's one of those things where it's like you just gotta find that one thing that like we'll flip that switch. Like it could be like a random random thought or random understanding of something completely unrelated that just makes it click. Or just the right person telling you the right thing that makes it make sense for you. That's fair. Well, let me ask you the other side then. We talked about red flags. I, I, I don't know what the term would be, green flags, whatever you want to call them. What What is it about if somebody walks through the door? I mean, we talked before about someone like an Adam Page. Uh, you, may, you know, Benny just mentioned John Cena. Like, what is it you see in a student where you immediately, this guy, this girl, whoever is going to be, they're, they're going to make it? Uh, just guys that that come in they're they're new and they take to it like a duck to water uh um uh, like uh we have a guy chuck edwards very very open to critique listens well learns fast uh now he's doing big things uh i think he just got picked up by choose your narrative like uh, just people that they have like a uh, a natural affinity for it, <laughs> like Scott Storm. Scott Storm, 
athletic as hell guy. Picked it up quick, like strong as an ox. And he was what, always like close to, was he 40 when he started or close to it, right? Uh, I don't think he was 40 at the time, I don't think. I think he had to be pretty close, though. Yeah, yeah. But it was well, something me... he obviously wanted for a long time, though. Yeah. Let me have you expand on that a little bit, then. We talk about, you know, uh, what you see. You talk about the duck to water. We always talk in wrestling about the it factor. When you see somebody like a Dusty Rhodes, a Roddy Piper, we just talked this earlier in the show about Ric Flair, uh, someone like a Bruno San Martino. These are people, no amount of training or no matter where you go, no matter who trains you, no matter what you do, you'll never be Bruno. You'll never be Piper and be Dusty. You, you have these, the it factor as someone who's been in the business and trained people. Can you kind of maybe describe the it factor in a way? Cause I know a lot of people you hear, Oh, he's got it, but they don't get what it is. Yeah. That, that is a very tough thing to answer. <laughs> uh, that's just something like you like you were saying you can't teach it it is just something that it is a part of that person like oh uh, i don't even know how to answer that <laughs> well, i didn't mean to put you on the spot <laughs> speaking of it factor um benny said he's gonna make a uh, uh he's obviously got a plans to be up there uh, any chance we could um, you, you could teach Benny a move or two? I'd love to get a, get that video up on the site. We could see if Benny's got the it factor. Oh man, sure, of course. <laughs> Step I'm, in the I'm, ring. Man. I'm the man Step of two thousand holes. I'm I'm Dean Malenko times two. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Hold one, arm drag. Hold two, arm bar. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Benny's going to be the guy. You're going to have to. You said you don't want to do it. He's going to be the one you teach the power bomb to first. Then, then teach him the collar and elbow. As, as long as I don't have to take the power bomb, I'm good. <laughs> so, uh, Mike, the big event is this Sunday. Uh, so, actually, I think believe Saturday is Jimmy Valiant's 80th birthday. Um, the Valiant birthday bash is Sunday. What, what's going to hap- happen that day? Uh, what's what's on what's on the agenda? What's on the agenda is a fun birthday show full of action-packed matches. Uh, you'll laugh, you'll cry, <laughs> but you're guaranteed to have a good time. Now I was there last year for the birthday bash, and I can so I can give my own personal testimony that testimonial that it, it's it's wonderful, it's phenomenal. I mean, number one, I mean I pull up, and Jimmy's out there. I guess it was maybe eleven in the morning, and I you know who who am I you know? But but Jimmy hugs me like I, I'm his long lost best friend, and everybody there is like that. I mean, everybody introduces themselves. You know, it, it you become truly become a part of the BWC family. And I mean, it's like you get adopted, you have a new family there. And it, uh, it, it's just, you know, watching the matches is fun. Uh, just, you know, going around the, the campus 
uh, is, is phenomenal. All the buildings and the uh, the Hall of Fame museum. So if you like, if you like, I call them tchotchkes, you know, like little artifacts and <laughs> souvenirs and stuff. If you're if you're at the tchotchkes, man, that is like tchotchke heaven because there is everything there. I mean, pictures, uh, belts. I mean, you name it, they're they're there, and it's just like it's it literally is. It's truly a Hall of Fame. It is. It is an environment like no other. <laughs> like I've been there for nine years now, and I'm still constantly finding something new that I've never seen before. It's like that uh, picture of the dogs playing poker. I think every time you look at it, you find a lot, another little nuance that you've never seen before. Like, right. <laughs> it's, I mean, and then of course there's Jimmy. I mean, like Jimmy. Jimmy is there every second. And Jimmy is always introducing himself, somebody hugging somebody, uh, welcoming somebody. It's just, I mean, it's just a special place in my opinion. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, uh, going back to uh, my first visit when I was scared to death to walk up to the building. Uh, just like you were saying, like, Boogie came out, greeted me like I was an old friend, like he'd known me forever. Just welcomed me in like I had always been a part. <laughs> And it's it's a hundred percent genuine. It, there's not nothing contrived about Jimmy. Jimmy is the most genuine, uh, down to earth person that, that I have ever met. Yeah, he always says like he loves everybody. He doesn't have an, anyone he considers an enemy out there. Like he'll hug everybody's neck. <laughs> maybe maybe Baron von Raschke and Pez Watley. Maybe right. Don't, yeah. Don't don't. Don't tell Dun, uh, Bill Dundee and Jerry Lawler that Jimmy Valiant doesn't have any enemies. That's right, yeah. <laughs> let, let me ask you, because you, you, you said something that struck me. We've had uh, a lot of guests on talking about different wrestling schools and things they've, they've done in the past. And you hear some of these high-profile wrestling schools, and I don't want to name-drop anybody because we, we do respect them, but... You know, oftentimes the big name on the door is just that. It's a name on the door. They they might be in the background. Maybe they show up a couple times a month, you know, to kind of just look around. But really, it's it's their name and everyone else is doing the training. Yet, everything we hear about BWC is how involved Jimmy is. Can you kind of expand on that? Like, how directly involved is he with everyone's, with the training, with the day-to-day -day operations, with, like Benny said, greeting people at the door? Yeah, uh, Boogie is a machine. <laughs> He's the first one out there, gets everything ready, tightens the ropes, uh, straightens everything out, greets everyone as they come in. Uh, when the training's going on, he's always watching. Like, He'll catch things like you don't think he's paying attention, but he's paying attention. <laughs> uh, he'll always pull you aside if he's got some notes for you or like I said with the stories, like he'll relate things to what we're doing just to kind of advocate what we're doing, that we're on the right track. But, uh, just everything you could ask for from a mentor. Like if you have questions, you can ask him and he'll give you advice. It's fantastic just having him around like that. He's got a photographic memory, too. I mean, he's been on the show a couple of times, and he'll talk about a match he wrestled, like, in 1964. And I'll give you the date, where, you know, the arena, who his <laughs> opponents were. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky if I remember what I had for breakfast. But I, 
they need to bottle his DNA because <laughs> I, I, I hope when I'm 80 years old that I have half the energy he does. The one that gets me, he was telling us a story about, you know, obviously he's talking about, you know, how, how rowdy the crowds were. And here you're talking, this was a match 50 years ago, and he's describing, oh, yeah, that lady in the front with the blue dress and that, you know, the guy next to him with the big must, and he's going on. And it's like, you, you're remembering the front row of a, of a match you had 50 years ago. I bumped into somebody at the store earlier today, and I couldn't tell you what they look like. <laughs> yeah, Boogie's always like, it's like, I might not remember names, but I always remember faces and what... <laughs> Well, that's why he makes up his own names. It's easier to remember those. Yeah. <laughs> well, we looked at, at the BWC. You guys, obviously, you have the big event coming up, and, and last year was great. But what about you? What does the future hold for Mike Mars? What what do you have coming up? Uh, oof, man. <laughs> that's the great unknown. <laughs> but, uh. I'm just going to keep training. Like I'm always trying to better myself, to better my students, to better my fellow, my, my peers. Um, just no expectations. Just whatever happens, happens. Like take it a day at a time. It, it must feel really good though, to be part of something very, very special like that. It is. It, it's been life changing. Like, uh, I am so honored and humbled to be able to go there every week and just, if you told me as a kid that I'd be the head instructor for a WWE Hall of Famers wrestling school, I would have kicked you in the crotch and called you a liar. <laughs> like, what, what the hell are you talking about? It's it's been a blessing in every way, shape, and form. Like it, it's given me like this this odd purpose to my life that I I couldn't trade anything else in the world for it. I, I've noticed that anybody that spends any amount of time with Jimmy though is is a very positive person because Jimmy is the most positive person I know. But it's very infectious. I told him that he needed to write a book about, like, I mean, we, New Day had the power of positivity. Right. <laughs> I think Jimmy Jimmy's the power of positivity in real life action. Oh, most most definitely. It is. <laughs> there, I don't think you could find anyone else like Boogie. Like, very rarely <laughs> have I ever seen him not positive. <laughs> Even on like the sickest day I've ever seen him, it's not running down his nose. He's still happy as can be. <laughs> He's on the right side of the ground. That's always a good thing, right? So, Mike, um, are you, I mean, your plan is to continue as the trainer there. Are you, are you uh, still going to maybe branch out and look at other other avenues to wrestle at, or? Oh, of course. Like, um, I'm always, always, uh, that, that's the challenge of this business, <laughs> finding new places, new people to work, new things to learn, 
new experiences to have. Uh, like I said, like I'm just taking it day at a time, seeing seeing what adventure lies next. You're, you're definitely in the right spot for that. I have to say, absolutely. Well, let me ask you. Uh, you talk about training for what's coming up. Um, I, I mean, obviously, you're training future stars do you um watch i'm curious uh, how involved you are in watching or keeping up on the current product wwe aw tna anything like that um i watch as much as i can um it's kind of hard to sit through like full shows but like i'll, I'll watch highlights and like i try to keep abreast of everything because if I I treat this as much as a job as anything else you can and if you want to be good at your job you want to you got to study up you got to learn you got to watch you got to see what's going on what's current so I mean you will incorporate some of the newer stuff I mean because when I went there's a lot of old school wrestling yeah but I, I did see some of the newer like high spot kind of moves as well Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Because um, in, in my eyes, like wrestling is wrestling. Uh, you can take. There's always something new to learn, whether it be something from back in the day or something that somebody did last week. Though, so, the the more you learn, the more you know, the better you can. The better performer you'll be. There we go. Well, do you? I'm sorry, Benny. Go ahead. No, no, I'm good. I was going to say, do you um, find, a, you know, having been involved in wrestling for the better part of a decade, do you find that mindsets of trainees change along with the current product? Most definitely. Uh... I can say from experience myself, uh, you're, you view it differently. You don't view wrestling as much as a fan anymore as you become, uh, not a watch hound, but like, like you're, I don't, I can't put it into words, but, uh, you come in as a fan, but then you become like, a scholar in the making. <laughs> well, then let me ask you, continuing on that note, um, we talk about periodically you hear horror stories about people that, you know, they're, they're telling, Oh, uh, we get, like you said, somebody comes in and wants to learn to power bomb, you know, um, somebody comes in and they immediately want, to, to start working on all the crazy stuff. Um, do you feel that this rise in, I'm about to sound like Jim Cornette here for a second, but do you feel like the rise in the popularity of the indie, the, the outlaw, the mud show, you know, uh, 150 miles an hour, 10, 10 super kicks a minute, you know, uh, 20 finishes. Do you feel that, that kind of, Mud, out, out mud show crap ha, for lack of a better description has has worsened some of the talent because people 
watch, say, you know, I look at someone like like me and Benny, we grow up, you know, you watch Bruno, you watch, you know, Piper in Portland, and you're like, this is what it means to be wrestlers. You were talking about, obviously, your your time, you know, versus somebody today watching a, a Young Bucks match and saying, oh, I want to be a wrestler, and that's what they think wrestling is. D- do you have to kind of teach that out of them, or is it is the damage done at this point? Uh... I wouldn't say the damage is done, but like, like I said, like if you're a student of the game, if you love wrestling, like you, you can understand the difference between prior ages of wrestling and today. Uh, it's definitely a thing where people come in and they think you, you got to be fast. You got to do this, that, and the other thing, but it's it's our job is instructing new guys like you got to slow down you got to start with the basics you got to you got to learn from the ground up like where it started before you move on to what it is now um yeah <laughs> well one of the things i noticed mike was that you know when i was there there was several i mean different age groups uh different body types you know different uh, levels of athleticism and I'm kind of thinking that you're going to train somebody you know you're not going to have somebody who's very uncoordinated doing you know a, a, a hurricane rana you know but there is somebody maybe there who could do a hurricane rana is that do you kind of contour what you teach them based on their you know their their level of athleticism most definitely because like you're saying like like even something as simple as uh doing a leapfrog some people just can't jump like that so you find ways to work around it. You find people's strengths and weaknesses. You build on their weaknesses and you focus on their strengths. Um, like, not everybody is going to be able to do everything, but everybody can learn everything. I, one thing, one observation I, I can make though is when I went there, I mean, everybody. And I mean, everybody was giving it a hundred percent. They were busting their butts in the ring there, and that's that's a tribute to you and you know and to the school. I mean, everybody, nobody was slacking there. Oh yeah, most definitely. Um, like everybody puts in the the blood, sweat, and tears for sure. It, it's very it's very apparent. I mean, you, I mean he's. Truly, I um, mean, these people are chasing their dreams. When you think about it, this this is this is somebody's dream. They're giving it all they got. They want to, you know, they, they want to see themselves on TV. They want to see themselves wearing a belt or, you know, making a million dollars. That's obviously not going to happen for everybody. But I mean, right. they're sure as hell giving it their all. Yeah, and it it's it's all out of the love for it. Like when you love what you do, it shows and. A large percentage of everybody that goes through the BWC has that love, and you can see it, you can feel it, and it's infectious to everybody else. Uh, it's it, and it's very very apparent when you go there. Oh yeah, like you said, Mike. It's a it's a world on its all its own. Well, Mike, I, I thank you so much for your time. I mean, we've we've talked a lot about everything with the BWC, and 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 you've told some great stories. Uh, I'm 
before we we let you go though, do you have any anything you want to plug? Any upcoming obviously other than the obvious, any upcoming events, social media, anything like that? Uh, I mean, shoot, social media. You can find me, Mike Mars, everywhere. <laughs> uh, come on down to the BWC this Sunday for Boogie's birthday bash. Uh, you can find me in Salisbury, North Carolina, this Saturday. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Will there be a, a Mike Mars Scott Storm 3? Well, uh, I can definitely say things are not uh, settled between me and Scott Storm yet, so it is most definitely going to happen. Very nice. And what, um, <laughs> what, uh, actually, you know what, before we let you go, I do have one question because you just said it struck me. Um, is there anybody out there? Cause obviously you, you've traveled a lot with wrestling. Anybody active today that you, your dream match would be to get in the ring with? Oh man. <laughs> so many, so many, so many people, uh, like I would love to have a good, Oh man, just anybody and everybody. Like I I want to work as many people as possible. As many styles as possible. Like I just I want it all. <laughs> but uh I would have to say the ultimate dream match right now would probably be uh a match with uh, Claudio Castagnoli. Nice. Good good choice. Absolutely. Yes. And glad to see a well-deserved Ring of Honor champion. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, Mike, again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Mike Mars, head trainer at the BWC. Check him out this weekend for the uh, excuse me Boogie's Birthday Bash. So for the, our friends at the BWC, Mike Mars, for the BS Express himself, Benny Scala, I'm Dan Sebastian. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring. Good night.